Welcome to Commission Ed, the Air Force Officer Podcast. Here we explore the training and development of America's leaders in the application of air power and the profession of arms. The views expressed are those of the hosts and do not reflect the official policy or position of the United States Air Force, Department of Defense, or the U.S. government. Hey everyone, this is Colin. After Reed and I recorded today's episode and earlier this week, the Secretary of the Air Force and Chief of Staff approved the new developmental categories as described here. These are exciting times in the Air Force, so we hope you'll enjoy this episode and share it far and wide. Welcome to another episode of Commission Ed, the Air Force Officer Podcast. I am Colin Slade. And I'm Reed Gann, and we're your hosts for Commission Ed. So last week, Reed, we spent a good amount of time talking about the the promotion process for Air Force officers. We explained the laws that govern the promotion process. We talked about the written and the unwritten rules that go into promoting officers from rank to rank. And most importantly, why someone who is a company grade officer should care about these types of things. We got into a discussion about how important it is that we define success for our careers, but even with an understanding of what success is for your career, you still need to understand those rules, those regulations, the laws, the process that goes into promoting if you want to stick around in the Air Force for any length of time. And so today, continuing on in that, uh, in that vein, we want to explore a little bit more about those, those regulations, those policies, uh, as they relate to the promotion process for Air Force officers. Something we mentioned last week quite a few times is that there's some pretty significant changes coming to this process. Uh, we mentioned the chief of staff is working on a number of areas, and we'll go through those today, and hopefully we can help outline what those rules are so that people can manage their careers better. Absolutely. In addition to the chief of staff's General Goldfein's agenda, we also just got a new secretary of the Air Force, the Honorable Barbara Barrett was just recently confirmed by the Senate to be the 25th Secretary of the Air Force. And we imagine she is going to have an agenda as well. And here in the the near future, we will see some initiatives come from her office that hopefully will address some of the issues regarding the promotion of Air Force officers. Exactly. A lot of the things that we're talking about today Our conversation would be based on a memo that was pushed out from the chief of staff to a lot of his leaders across the Air Force. None of it is binding. It's just kind of outlining the purpose and intent of the efforts he's doing. So yeah, we hopefully will have in the near future some uh, real guidance on how this is going to look as we go forward. Yeah, Reed, why don't you take a moment and outline some of the things that General Goldfein put into this memo that he sent out to his wing commanders? Will do. So the source of this is a Facebook post, believe it or not, that was shared by one of the wing commanders that was involved in in this effort. 
and it was encouraged to be shared widely. So any mistakes that we have, you know, we're just based on the source we got it from. Um, some of the things that they talked about is trying to define more clearly what we value as a service. And once we've defined those things, then taking measures to ensure that we're promoting people who demonstrate the things that we value. And so there's a lot that talks about how we're going to define what we value. They're going to do some studies. They're going to release some guidance. And that will become the basis for how we promote in the future. Real quick on that, Reed, if you wouldn't mind, you say, what do we value? Let's, let's talk about who is included in that we. We've mentioned this a few times as we've talked over our episodes. People within the Air Force are promoted by other people in the Air Force. So it's the institution, the culture that we have as members of this service that end up deciding who gets promoted and who doesn't. As part of that, we need to decide what matters to us. So when I say what we value as an institution, we're talking about us as airmen and how do we set up our culture and our system of promotion to reward characteristics and traits that we value in those that we promote. Yeah, thanks for explaining that. It's important to note that this is the continuation of the entrance requirements for getting into what you previously termed the club. This is how you get in the club. This is how you stay in the club. This is how you progress through the club. And it's important that we are all on the same page as far as what, what we truly value in our officers as they grow and develop in the Air Force. Some of the ways that we're going to help encourage this change in culture, this emphasis on promoting what we value, uh, they've proposed changes to officer development categories. We'll go more in depth on these as we go forward, but the bottom line is instead of comparing essentially everyone in the Air Force against everyone in the Air Force for promotion, they're going to bend them into some large categories. I'm sure we'll go in depth with those as we go forward. So Reed, with that understanding of who that we is, the, the institution of the Air Force, the officers that are part of that institution, take a, a moment and explain to us what it is that we value according to this memo from General Goldfein. First thing we value is how they accomplish and contribute to the mission. So mission first, how do we get that done? The next thing is how they lead and take care of their airmen. So mission first, people always, right? One of those sayings we have. Next is how they manage resources in order to accomplish the mission. Next is how they contribute to improving the unit. Are we always striving for excellence, trying to get better? The last thing is their character, which is something that ties directly in, Colin, with your statement about the essential elements of becoming a member of the Air Force as a commissioned officer. With these competitive categories that they've established, they're going to make sure that those are actually competing in the right way, but the, the competitive categories will allow for career fields to create the kind of officers that they need instead of trying to use one leadership tool to measure everyone. Part of this is a new OPR, the Officer Performance Report, which will take into account all the things we talked about earlier, a new promotion recommendation form or PRF. We talked about that last week. 
Another thing they're looking at, and this one looks a little bit less solid on where they're going, but is managing time, how the windows of time in which people are promoted. Again, talked about that last week. You have below the zone, in the zone, and above the zone, and how you have this pretty narrow window to actually get promoted. They're not sure that they've got that right. And so there's a lot of discussion on that front. And I think the next one that we will probably lead into next is talking about these developmental categories. How do we promote people? How are they compared to their peers so that we're developing the right officer for the right position at the right time? Yeah, I think this is where we want to spend the majority of our time. There's so much in this memo that we could unpack and there's maybe we could spend some additional podcast episodes devoted just to specific things from this memo. But where we want to spend our time today is on those developmental categories, specifically as they relate to the line of the Air Force. So a couple of things that we're going to have to define here. I know that we've talked about them before, but it's worth revisiting again. Reed, if you wouldn't mind, first of all, explain what is meant by a developmental category. And then once we have that in place, what is meant by line of the Air Force? So a developmental category in this situation is a way of grouping similar career fields, Air Force specialty codes, into groups that allow us to manage those career fields in a similar fashion So let me just break down one of them as an example, and I think that'll be instructive. So we'll talk with the first category, which is air operations and special warfare. That's the first developmental category. The career fields in that are pilot, combat systems officer, remotely piloted aircraft, air battle manager, special tactics, combat rescue, tactical air control party. All of those are considered what we would think of as air operators. They are the front line of traditional Air Force operations. All of those officers are going to be grouped into a developmental category. Broadly speaking, the intent is to manage all of their careers in a very similar fashion, meaning what we want for success for a pilot is very similar to what we want for success for a combat rescue officer or for an air battle manager. We expect their career path to be very similar. We want them to have some operational time. Then we want them to have some middle management leadership time. Then we want some staff. And so as they look at who they're going to promote to those senior leadership positions, they're going to have generally similar expectations for everyone in that category. If you compare that to the force modernization category, which is chemist, physicists, nuclear engineers, developmental engineers, and acquisitions, you can see how those career fields are pretty different. You've got combat rescue officers and their career path to what we want to develop to be that 0506 is going to be very different than what you want from a nuclear physicist. Up to this point, those two officers were compared against each other for promotion. One thing that I want to bring up here is that this is not a new thing. Our sister services, the Army, the Navy, the Marine Corps, especially the Navy, are already doing this, where they've taken these traditional combat or combat support type roles, and they've broken them out. Prior to this point, the Air Force had only separated out the line of the Air Force from the non-line of the Air Force, which is 
all of the medical, the JAG Corps, the chaplains, but again, the, the line of the Air Force was all put together in a single category, as you mentioned. And there's some very disparate career fields, even within the line of the Air Force. But in our sister services, they've had these line officer positions, these line officer categories separated out for quite some time. So what the Air Force is likely to do here in the near future is just get more in line with what's going on elsewhere in the Department of Defense. With that in place, let's take a closer look at what are the developmental categories that will be announced here in the near future. First one we already outlined, but we'll go through it again just for completeness. So air operations and special warfare. Pilot, combat systems, RPA pilot, air battle manager, special tactics, combat rescue, tactical air control party. So that's the first categories. And again, those are your stereotypical tip of the spear operators within the U.S. Air Force. Involved primarily with the application of traditional air power. Exactly. So then that is very different from the space mission, which obviously does not necessarily use traditional air power. And within the the space operations developmental category, there are two Air Force specialty codes, space operations and astronaut. Just a quick plug, Colin. I was just going to say, I'd hate to be a space operator trying to get promoted versus an astronaut. I'm just, you know. <laughs> well, yeah, and actually I was thinking about this with the the confirmation of Secretary Barrett. If you uh, take a look at her background, she has a strong space background. And to me, that signals even more the direction that the Air Force is going to continue to go in the development of the Space Corps or the Space Force, whatever it ends up being. And I imagine that this space operations developmental category is going to add quite a few more different Air Force specialty codes beyond just the space operations and astronaut. I'm interested to see multiple different types of astronaut. I think that's going to be an interesting and fun development to watch. I'm looking forward to the Air Force Specialty Code 13J or JEDI. Okay. Yeah, I see you you went there. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. And then related to space operations, but different enough that it merits its own developmental category is the nuclear and missile operations category. And this particular category actually has only one Air Force Specialty Code in it. That is the Nuclear and Missile Operations, or 13N. And I, I think it's a, a wise thing to, to keep the Nuclear and Missile Operations category on its own because that is a very special, very different, very important mission that the Air Force and Global Strike uh, Command have oversight for. Next competitive category is a pretty large one in terms of people and number of Air Force specialty codes, uh, information warfare. You have cyber operations, intelligence, operations research analysts, weather, special investigations, information operations, and public affairs. All of these clearly align with the idea that information is power 
and the weaponization of information, if you will. This also falls in line with at the Air Force staff, headquarters Air Force staff at the Pentagon. The senior intelligence officer was recently given the reins of information as well. So instead of just being the A2, and we'll probably have to talk about what the air staff is and how those staff positions are divided up at some other point, but she's also the A26. So not only in intelligence, the traditional intel job, but also the information warfare job, the cyber job. So now she has the reins of both of those. And the numbered air forces that have controlled cyber and intel operations have been combined this week into a single numbered air force. So just furthering that idea of intelligence and cyber kind of merging together as we go forward in the future. Yeah. And broadly speaking, these first four developmental or competitive categories, we see the better alignment with how the Air Force approaches its mission to fly, fight, and win in air, space, and cyberspace. Exactly. These categories make sense. And then moving on from those four kind of operational, we move into the roles that support each of those operational missions. And so the next developmental category is combat support. Within this developmental category is actually quite a few different career fields or specialty codes. So first we've got airfield operations, then aircraft maintenance, munitions and missile maintenance, logistics readiness, security forces, civil engineering, can I get a hua? Force support, contracting, and financial management. So this actually makes it the largest developmental category with the broadest range of mission capabilities, backgrounds. So I'm really interested to see how this one plays out. Not to mention because you're part of it. Well, sure. Yeah, absolutely. I am very interested to see how a civil engineer officer compares up against you know a, an aircraft maintenance officer because those are two very different mission sets, but ultimately they both have the same responsibility in providing combat support to the operational mission. Last category, force modernization. These are your chemists, your physicists, nuclear engineers, developmental engineers, and acquisitions professionals. Again, this category makes sense. All these folks typically have very similar backgrounds and degrees. They're doing similar work and all fall underneath the acquisitions umbrella. And so having been part of this category when I started as, as a chemist, I have to tell you, it's going to be much easier to compare more likely apples to apples in this category than comparing a physicist to a pilot, for example, when you're trying to compete for promotion. So a lot of goodness here. Can I just say something, Colin, that I've been thinking about this whole time? How much humility it must have taken for our senior leaders to say that the promotion system isn't working and to have the ability to assess self and try to make it better. And I think the reason I'm most impressed is that it takes a really critical eye towards yourself and how you got to where you are. It's easy, I would think, for the people at the top to say, well, the promotion system isn't broken because I'm here 
here I am. But to say that the promotion system probably isn't working implies a massive humility to me. What a great time to be an airman, to be part of this process. Yeah. And I want to second that for sure. Recently, I went to Washington, DC on a staff ride with my senior cadets. And I had uh, the pleasure and the opportunity to meet Mr. Sean Manasco, who is one of the undersecretaries of the Air Force, specifically responsible for manpower and personnel, as well as his military counterpart, Lieutenant General Kelly, who is the Air Force A-1, or the general officer responsible for all matters relating to personnel. And I was able to hear directly from them talk about their ideas, their philosophy on why these developmental categories need to happen. And I'm not going to repeat exactly what it was that they said at the time, but I would just want to echo exactly what you said, that they are at the pinnacle of their careers. They are at the top of the Air Force. And yet, I don't think I've ever heard from leadership in such a position or seen such uh, humility before. It was fascinating to watch. It was very encouraging for me as, as an officer in the Air Force, as an airman, and really just as a citizen of the United States, knowing that there are people at the very top of the Department of the Air Force who have the humility, the clarity, and the vision to make some real significant and lasting changes that will make our Air Force better for future generations. It's definitely given me a lot of hope, right, as we go forward that we're working to get this right. And yeah, that's great. Mr. Manasco is great. I've, uh, he came out to OTS. So the whole idea, right, behind all of these is we can't use the same ruler to measure everyone's career. They're simply too different. The career fields, the experiences, the what we need in our leaders is so different that we simply can't use one yardstick to measure every career field. Because what you end up happening is people start doing things that are beneficial for promotion that are detrimental to who they are and what they do for their job. And that's what we're trying to get after, at least as I understand it. Did you understand anything other, you know, any other different goals? Yeah, that's a really interesting point, very salient point that you're making that as we discussed in our previous episode, there are certain written rules that you must follow in order to gain a promotion. But then there are also these unwritten rules that have governed who gets promoted for such a long time. And those unwritten rules form and they develop over time based on who actually gets promoted. And if one particular career field will pick pilot just because we're the Air Force, if the pilots are the ones that are getting promoted, then all of these other career fields that have a very different mission set, very different skills, very different background are going to start doing things just like the pilots. And then that can have a detrimental effect on those other missions that require a different skill set, a different way of looking at problems, solving problems. And the Air Force wouldn't do well if we were all pilots. 
we need all of those other career fields. That's why they exist. And so we shouldn't be trying to promote just like a pilot or any other career field that is not your own. One example that I think can kind of help illustrate what you're talking about, because I totally agree, is this idea of leader versus technician. We've talked about this a little bit in past episodes. What is it that we value? Do we value your ability to do some technical thing or do we value your abilities as a leader? And a pilot is a perfect example of that. In the pilot career field, they value your ability to fly, to be a pilot. And they talk about that. They train about that. They focus on that heavily. Compare that to your career field, Colin, as a civil engineer. On day one, as a you know really young lieutenant, young officer, how many airmen were you in charge of in your organization? Well, let me put it this way. Uh, by the time I was a first lieutenant on my second deployment, I was responsible for 25 airmen and billions with a B dollars of equipment and construction. Okay. So let's compare that to a pilot first lieutenant. They may not have even actually been qualified on their aircraft yet just based on the way training works. They're also flying very expensive equipment. They're also doing important crew leadership and other forms of peer leadership. One thing I want to make sure, we're not making any career field off to be better or worse than any other. We're making them different, and we're trying to highlight those differences. So as a second lieutenant, Colin, you're already leading airmen in combat doing the job, and many of our pilots may not have even finished their training to get qualified on the aircraft that they've been assigned to. So how should we compare those two? And it's the position of the Air Force going forward that we shouldn't. We should compare like to like, at least as, as well as we've defined in these competitive categories. Yeah, but let's also remember that promotion from second lieutenant to first and then first to captain is 100% promotion opportunity. So yes, to your point, we don't want to necessarily compare them, but uh, the way that the, the promotion system for company grade officers allows the promotion to happen without a comparison. Yep. And as you go forward, those changes, those little things that start as we begin our careers, they just become more and more diverse as you go forward. Exactly. So yeah, to your point that by the time you're going up for your majors board, a captain in civil engineering has likely been placed in charge of 100, 200, maybe 300 uh, airmen and billions in projects and equipment. Whereas a, a senior captain pilot has become very proficient at being a technical expert on a specific airframe. They may have some additional duties back at the back at the squadron, but their primary responsibility is not the leadership of other airmen. It is the proficient execution of their mission in their aircraft. And different leadership of different airmen. I gained a lot of respect for what the pilots do when I was deployed. I'm certain that being a package commander of a guerrilla package of different aircraft from different nations, flying and dropping bombs in combat is important 
and valued, and we need them to be good at that. But it's different leadership than leading 300 airmen building a base somewhere. So I like this idea of using different rulers against different competitive categories. I'm really looking forward to it. It makes a lot of sense. So we've touted this. We've explained why we're excited about it. But I think we need to take a couple steps back again and answer the question, Reed, why does a new second lieutenant or a captain CGO or even our cadets in Air Force ROTC and officer training school and the Air Force Academy, why should they care? Yeah. So Colin, the reason we need to know this stuff, even as you start off young, is what we mentioned last week, that these are the rules of the game. And the rules of the game are changing pretty significantly. So we want to make sure we're equipping our audience with as much information as is available so that they can make decisions now that will have impacts on their future going forward. For example, if you want to change jobs, I started as a chemist, later moved to intelligence. In this new setting, that would be a different competitive category. What are the rules of the game in the information warfare category that were different from those in the force modernization category. That's the kind of stuff that we need to be thinking about as we manage our careers. Yeah, and understand that some of the things that applied earlier will still apply. Like, you still need to be good at your job. Remember, what is it the Air Force values? We value, above all, the execution of the mission. Mission first. Second to that, we value how you take care of your airmen, whoever those airmen are, whether they are enlisted, other officers in your sphere of responsibility, or if they are civilian airmen. As an officer, you have a responsibility for taking care of other people, regardless of their rank, their commission, or civilian status. So some of these things are going to be true across each of the developmental categories. But then there will be some that are specific to a developmental category. Last week, we talked about master's degrees. I imagine that in the force modernization category, a master's degree is going to carry a lot of weight on whether or not you are able to get promoted. I don't know that for a fact. Reed, you can probably shed a little bit more light on that, but I imagine it, it's going to be important. Yeah, given the heavy emphasis on scientific research and development on you know, very cerebral topics, I think that makes sense. I would also assess, again, not knowing, but it would make sense to me that having a, especially a technical master's, you know, one in the field is probably going to be a lot more valuable than it would be in other categories. On the flip side, my guess is that master's degrees aren't going to be quite so important as they have been in air operations and special warfare. I don't think that it'll be frowned upon, but I don't think that it's going to carry quite the same weight and importance that it has previously. Other things that are going to have an effect on promotion is your professional military education, how you perform and whether you go to squadron officer school and Air Command and Staff College, and then Air War College. Those professional military education 
experiences are going to be much more important uh, for uh, some of the developmental categories and the career paths within those different categories than in others. For example, going back to air operations and special warfare again, if an officer has a desire to be a squadron commander and to move up in that command structure, squadron commander, group commander, wing commander, they are going to have to go to air command and staff college and air war college and do well. Whereas if they're more interested in staying on the technical side of things and not necessarily be on the command track, then maybe professional military education isn't going to matter quite as much, even within the same uh, developmental category. What are some of the other changes you're really excited to see in here? And what is it that people need to know about them? Honestly, I'm most excited about the abolishment of before the promotion zone in the promotion zone and above the promotion zone. That did seem to be the area that was the least developed. And I think the, I think chief staff even called that out and said, this is an area that they still are working on that they're taking a hard look at. I have it on good Intel that those different promotion categories or timing are going to go away that we are going to have just an in the promotion zone category that as soon as you achieve the requisite time in, in grade for that rank, you'll be moved into an in the promotion zone category and you'll be considered in the promotion zone all the way up until you actually promote to the next rank. Now, what does that mean in reality? That means that for some people, if they are ready to promote to the next rank, the very first time that they are in the promotion zone, great. Go ahead and promote them because they are ready for it. But you know what? Some of us develop a little bit slower than others. And that's okay. That sometimes we need a little bit more time in a specific assignment or a little bit more time working on our, on our professional leadership to hit some of those written rules or even unwritten rules of education, experience, various different assignments, joint duty, command, those different types of things, checking off those boxes. Some of us take a little bit more time to grow and develop and blossom and be prepared for the next rank. And we shouldn't be punished for that. That when you are prepared for the next rank, you should be promoted to it. And it shouldn't be frowned upon. It shouldn't be a black mark on your record that you promoted three, four, five years later in the promotion zone. You still promoted in the promotion zone. That's one of the things that I'm most excited about because it gives me hope for the future that I may, I may actually make it to 05. That is definitely going to be one of the more, I guess, one of the more significant changes especially given you know the the intent of DOTMA, the law we talked about last week, and how they are trying to create that regimented schedule. So yeah, I'm really interested to see how that shapes out. I'm also interested to see how this ultimately affects the OPR or the Officer Performance Report and just the overall evaluation of our officers. As I shared previously, my experience with stratifications and my OPRs was not a positive one. It was not 
what I thought I deserved and led to my eventual departure from and separation from active duty the first time. My hope is that as I have now recommitted to a career in the Air Force, my hope is that my officer performance reports, my OPRs, will be more reflective of who I truly am and what it is that I'm trying to accomplish on behalf of the Air Force rather than the unwritten rules and and timing and personnel issues or favoritism, if that's what we want to call it, that was existent in the previous system. The challenge, right, is that the OPR had become and has become largely a shadow game in response to the unwritten rules in order to promote those that we think should be promoted instead of a reflection of your performance of your primary duties. And that's the core of what they're trying to get at with this. We need to promote those that are reflecting the values we need as senior leaders. And we've gotten away from that. And here are the reasons we've gotten away from that and here how we're going to get after those things. Well, Reed, I think there is so much more that we could go through. And I think we'll take the time to unpack this memo a little bit more in the coming weeks. There's a lot of really good information. We'll be sure to share the memo. As the chief of staff, General Goldstein, asked that this memo be shared widely. So we'll make sure that our listeners have access to this, that you can read it for yourself. But I'd I want to close here, share my final thoughts by just re-emphasizing what it is that we value as an institution, what we as officers in the Air Force value in our other officers. First of all, an officer accomplishes and contributes to the assigned mission, mission first. That an officer leads the airman entrusted to his or her care. That an officer manages resources needed to accomplish the mission and that an officer contributes to improving his or her unit. And all of these things are done on a foundation of impeccable character rooted in the Air Force core values and a desire to take care of the mission, take care of people, and ultimately take care of the United States of America. Anything else you want to add to this, Reed? Just, again, what an amazing time to be an airman. Super proud of my organization that they're able to assess self and look critically and say, we can be better. And that's one of the primary reasons I joined the Air Force is I wanted to be associated with people who are always trying to get better. Awesome. So we hope that you've enjoyed this episode. I hope that it is useful to you in your development as an officer or a future officer in the Air Force. If you have gotten anything worthwhile out of this episode, we invite you to share it with a friend, a family member, anybody else that that may be on this path or interested in the path of being an officer. We hope that you will take the opportunity to engage with us on our social media. We are active on Instagram and Twitter, and we have a Facebook group where we discuss our podcast episodes as well as other issues that are relevant to Air Force officers and our service. We ask that you would leave us a rating or a review on your favorite podcasting platform. But again, most valuable thing that you could do is share this information with others so that they can join us on this journey with us. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Commission Ed. 
Thank you for listening to Commission Ed, the Air Force Officer Podcast. The views and opinions of the authors expressed herein do not state or reflect those of the U.S. government and shall not be used for advertising or product endorsement purposes. Mention of any specific commercial products, process, or service by trade name, trademark, manufacturer, or otherwise does not necessarily constitute nor imply its endorsement, recommendation, or favoring by the U.S. government. The mention of companies by name is solely for the purpose of discussion and should not be implied as endorsement. Mm-hmm.